Thank you for joining us today on Geezers of Gear, episode number 195. Today's podcast is brought to you by Act Entertainment. The new Robert Juliet Sully 4C Zoom profile is likely exactly the fixture you've been looking for. Whether you're seeking versatility or trying to match fixtures in an existing rig, Robert Juliet's color software allows you to create the exact color and fade characteristics you want, making it possible for the Sully 4C to emulate other luminaires you already own and achieving that exact look you need. Why settle for just one or two fixture types when you can have them all in one with the Robert Juliet 4C Zoom available now from Act Entertainment at www.actentertainment.com. And also, please visit coffeecult.com, coffee with a K, cult with a K, dot com, and search for Geezer's Grind. The reviews are coming in. People seem to love this coffee almost as much as I do. And remember, proceeds go to Roby Backstage and support folks in our industry with medical or other challenges. Well, hey, and hello, and thanks for joining me again today. I will warn you, today might get a little bit noisy. I do have painters in the building today, so um, I apologize if you do hear background noise today, but uh, I always try to keep it to a minimum, so here we go. Anyways, the Parnelli Awards just happened. Uh, any surprises? I mean, not for me. I pretty much knew who the winners were going to be, I think, but um, <clears throat> just to go through a few of these... The Visionary Award, my friend, old friend, Kenny Whitwright, who I haven't seen in years, uh, who's enjoying, I think, his uh, retirement. Uh, Lighting Company of the Year, Bandit Lights, uh, the new Nook Schoenfeld Lighting Designer of the Year Award, Alec Takahashi, Production Designer of the Year, Travis Shirley, Sound Company of the Year, Sound Image. I'm not going through all of these, by the way. I'm just grabbing some of the highlights. Uh, Front of House. Mixer of the Year, John Lemon, uh, Video Production Company of the Year, Solotech, Stage Lighting, or sorry, Staging Company of the Year, All Access, of course, uh, Rigging Company of the Year, ARS Atlanta Rigging Systems, Set Constructions, who else? I'll give you a couple guesses. Come on, I'll wait. Oh, of course, we know it's Tate. Uh, the Patrick Stansfield Production Manager of the Year, Nicole Massey. Patrick Stansfield Tour Manager of the Year, Mark Oglesby. Trucking Company Upstaging, yes. Uh, indispensable Technology Lighting, Roby for the BMFL Follow Spot, which of course is an amazing piece of equipment. We sell tons of them on GearSource. Uh, Indispensive Technology Audio, Allen and Heath for the Avantis console version 1.2. Indispensable Technology Video, Row, of course, Van- Vanish V8T LED panels. And Staging and Effects, Tyler Truss for the GT Truss. Awesome. And uh, congratulations to everyone. Speaking of the Parnellis, I've been speaking with a couple friends about this, mostly 
uh, people who had to go out there either to accept or to present or to be a part of uh, the Parnellis, but had absolutely nothing to do with NAM. And um, I was in disagreement with this from the beginning. I know there was probably politics or something that led to the Parnellis moving from LDI to NAM. I wish they'd move back to LDI. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, um, you know, I know there's competing entities behind all of this, and there's, again, some politics in it, but... Uh, you know, NAM never became the sound and lighting mecca that it was meant to become or that they thought it would become. Uh, from what I understand, hardly any lighting companies were there this year. Hardly any of the large, large sound companies were there this year. And uh, so I don't know. Like, for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Move it back to LDI. And um, speaking of audio... Audio gear uh, seems to be really ramping up right now, and I don't know if it's because of summer touring season or what it is, but we've seen some large line array deals on gear source in the past couple of weeks. And so I'm not going to advertise, but if you happen to be looking for a line array package, we've got them. And uh, we've got some really cool deals right now and some gear available that I wouldn't have expected to be available at this time of year. So um, today's episode is one of those ones I like to dive into because it's a person I did not know at all previously. Uh, So today's guest is Jim Marlowe, who is a technical director, production designer, operations manager, and was a very early mover in digital HD projection as well, and has some really great stories and history and experience with regard to uh, HD projection from, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. And so uh, please welcome Jim Marlowe. Hey, Jim, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's I'm doing great, thanks. It's a beautiful day. It's been raining for a week solid in South Florida, so it's nice that it's uh, sunny and fairly perfect temperature today. I'm happy guy. And yeah, it's a little misty up here in uh, Shrub Oak, New York. Ah, Shrub Oak. I've never heard of it. Where's that? It's uh, near Peekskill, okay. uh, Yorktown Heights, yeah, yeah. Westchester. Yeah, nice, nice. You know, it's funny, I, I mentioned this on, on our little pre-chat thing, but it's not often where I get to bring people on Geezers of Gear who I don't know, who I have no relationship, no past, no history with. And uh, in in sort of learning about you leading up to this this podcast, uh, you know, you've had quite an incredible career and, and uh, you continue to. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, getting to know you on this on this podcast. And, and uh, I think our audience will enjoy it as well. So, yeah. Well, as, as I said, the uh, name Geezers of Gear caught me right away. I was like, I got, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're all geezers. We're all getting there absolutely. at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, you know, again, it's just weird for me to meet people in our industry. I've been in the industry in this country because I come from Canada originally, but I've been in the industry in this country for 32 years now. And um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's always fun to meet new people. So, you know, your early story, um, I always love how people got into the business, like quite often they started as a DJ, they started as a musician and realized they couldn't make any money as a musician. And so they either went the way of lighting or sound or staging or video or whatever. Yours is a little bit different though, right? 
Yeah, I, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to work in the business. And I, I have been a musician and actor and all that stuff as well. But I wanted to work in the business pretty early on. I knew that and was looking for an avenue to, to find a way to do it. Yeah. And as I mentioned in the little thing, the blurb I sent you, I was in college studying theater and music and, and playwriting and all that and started hanging out in the scene shop. So they would ask me to hold the other end of a piece of wood or hold the ladder while they climbed up to hang a light or something like that. And eventually it rubbed off on me. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you didn't actually go to school. Like you didn't take technical theater. Or no, or... no. I learned from the other students there. That's how I learned. And then they, they're some of the people who actually connected me to the business after I got out of college too. Yeah. Very cool. So getting out of college, this is, you know, I'm not going to try and age you or anything, but I'm guessing late eighties. Oh no, no, no. We're 80s. talking mid seventies. Oh geez. You're I got a out of college. I got out of college in, in late mid seventies. And uh, my first job was working in a college theater. I was in 1979 at Fairleigh Dickinson university in Madison. Huh. And what was that? What were you doing there? I was assistant technical director, so building scenery, hanging lights, you know, assisting teaching. And, uh, and you got you you developed those skills just from people throwing jobs at you while you were in college and saying, hey, look over here, you know, come move these lights or whatever. Yeah, I ended up starting to do shows. I did an off off Broadway show when I was still in college. We did a, a show with Pinky Lee called Las Vegas Laughins at the uh Playhouse on the Mall in uh, Bergen County. And, yeah. So I you know, just started doing shows and working on stuff and picked it up. Yeah. yeah. So your first gig was technical director at a theater. and Assistant technical. Uh, assistant technical director. And so how'd that go? That was... It, it was rough at first. My friends used to make jokes that I've got like the uh, the book, the scenic book open to the next page that's the page after what the students are working on it that's funny but you know i i obviously picked it up pretty quickly you know learn how to build flats and obviously i didn't i'd known how to do uh hang scenery and i know mostly how to use power tools and all that but i'm not a carpenter i don't i don't really like carpentry right right so it was a bit it's just a way to get into the business yeah 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 well that's good so what did that lead to what was next i i read that you you found your way into rock and roll somehow straight out of, was that straight out of that theater? I was I literally had just parted ways with them. And I was at a Jerry Garcia show at the Capitol theater in Passaic, New Jersey. Fun. And a friend of mine that I'd worked with in the college theater was walking across the aisle in front of me. So I say hello to him. He says, Oh, I'm working here at the Capitol theater. So next thing I know, I get home from the concert and somebody says, Oh, this guy's on the phone for you. Huh. So I answered the phone. Uh, what are you doing Saturday? I have a show down in Asbury Park. And I was like, I'll do it. Interesting. And that led to almost all of my career opportunities for most of the rest of my life, basically. Yeah. That's another story in itself. Yeah. But I, you mentioned somewhere in one of the papers that I read um, that you got on the house crew with uh, with John Sher. Yeah, that was that was the day. Oh, uh, the that's guy the asked, one. That, yeah, the guy asked me to come work for them on that Saturday. Huh? Like what? You know, this was like the concert was on a Wednesday, and I get the call when I got what home. What a cool he wrote, huh? wrote my name down. Yeah, and that, like I said, from 
the people I met and the things I did in those two years of working in rock and roll led to almost all of my career opportunities for the next 20 years. That's amazing. And then those led, you know, those connections from 20 years led for the rest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when you were working with John or for John or, or, uh, on that house crew, uh, that's, I think when you got introduced to video, right? Yeah, that, that was, uh, I was starting to do the rock videos because that was literally when MTV took off. Okay. And I had, when I was still working at the college, I had done a rock video with the guys that were down the hall. It's funny because where my office was, was also the underground theater and a classroom. And the, right down the hall in the same building was the television department. Okay. And the guys, Jim and Gino said, hey, you know, you should learn video. And I was like, that'd be cool. So we ended up making a rock video of my band for uh, this thing called Mad TV, which was for Jersey City State College, now Jersey City University. And uh, it was on local cable access, you know, and uh, it made me want to do more with rock video. And then when the opportunity came up to work with the John Share Group, I was already interested in that. But they I think they were called Monarch Entertainment at the time. And I was already interested in doing the rock and roll video stuff. So literally started doing MTV video as it was just beginning. And when you, you say know, doing video, what were you doing? Well, these they would do major shoots for for things. We did the Billy Idol Rebel Yell MTV video was right. shot. But what at, was your role? Me, I was a yeah, helper, and I I cable. I said, well, the first thing you do is you bring in all the band gear and you set it all up, you know. Yeah. And then you bring in all all the video gear and they set it up. You don't set up video gear, but then right. you know you're 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 put, doing the lighting focus and you're you're covering up things with black cloth so that you yeah. can't be seen on camera and they're just working basically but it it gave me the bug and that was one well, and decided. intense uh education as well you know when you're when you're on site when those videos are happening and stuff you're learning the terminology you're learning the people you're learning the equipment uh you know it's that's high value stuff obviously and then you see it you see it on on tv and and you realize that you were part of something that's like yeah high high end they're top notch so you, you were there when on the rebel yell video yeah, That's I worked on Rebel cool. Yell. Yeah, I mean, they I've shot seen that video a thousand times, probably. It was in it was in the movie Big. They they actually the kids are in the little flop house that he's staying at when he becomes an adult, and they're watching it on TV. Yeah, so I was laughing. So yeah, it's very common, very well known video. Obviously. Yeah, no, I mean I I remember when it came out. I've seen it a thousand times since then. It's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, obviously part of my uh, Ute. As you say, yeah. part of my youth. Yeah, I I, uh, I heard that song about four hundred times in two days, oh, <laughs> and they played goodness. it over and over and over again. Well, imagine being him. He's like in his whatever seventies now or something, and he's still got to sing it every night. So, well, God bless him, you know. Yeah, I I've I've seen recent video of him, and he still sounds and and looks like a like a rock star. You know, good he, for him. He's he's still a badass. Yeah. So, I mean, that that gave you, like you said, that probably gave you the bug to have access more video, get into more video. So where'd that go? Like, uh... Well, I was still working doing scenic when the, when opportunities presented itself. And I was working as a freelancer for a company called uh, uh, The Theater Machine. Okay. A woman named Pat Moser. 
And uh, we were on a job in the city. It was called the Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcakes. And it was an industrial, but, you know, it was like a Broadway play, but it was only a half hour long. And it had all the scenery was like full size scenery. So we built it all and installed it there. And the people who did the AV for the event was Staging Techniques. Okay. And uh, as I mentioned, a little piece of writing that I wrote, it says uh, we saw them there and they were wearing their, their satin jackets. And Ooh. They just looked really cool. And yeah. we were like, oh. and me and the other guy I worked with, we want to be in on that. You know, how do we get yeah. in on that? So then a friend of mine that I was working with at, at the Capitol Theater and, and for John Chair called me up and he had two days of work as a freelance scenic carpenter at Staging Techniques. And did I, was I interested? I said, yes. So I went and worked and then it became two more days. So it was four days. At the end of the four days, the guy who was in charge there said, uh, you can either have your check mailed or you can come and pick it up. And I just said, well, probably come and pick it up might be a good idea. You know, it might be a good way to get in on this, you know. And I had made friends with Leon Ching, who's a good friend. And uh, we'd, we'd hit it off. And so when I got there to pick up my check, the door opens. It's Leon. He says, Fred has work. He says, uh, ask him about it. So I meet Fred. We go up in the elevator to the office to pick up the check. And uh, on the way back down, I say, oh, Leon says, you have work next week. He says, yeah. So we go back over to where the scenic shop was. And he hands me a key to the building. And he says, if you're in first, make coffee. <laughs> and, I was, and I was there for 11 years. Wow. Eventually took, yeah. And eventually took over their video department. And that's how. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's how I finally got into the, the, the field I wanted to be in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a common sort of theme or thread on a lot of the podcasts that I record, especially with old school folks like me, like you, where, you know, and it, uh, uh, it's a certain type of effort and an attitude and a say yes attitude about everything. Like, do you know how to do this? Oh, yeah, I know how to do that. And then you go and read the manual to try and figure yeah. out how to do it, right? But it seems like you have that same thing. Like people you didn't bang on doors and chase opportunities. They came to you just because you were putting in such, uh, you know, good work elsewhere. And people noticed that and went, Hey, let's grab that guy, you know, before somebody else does. Yeah. Well, as, as a staffer, I have always told the, the people that I work for the work with the, the freelancers. I've always told them you only have one job and that's to pick up the phone and say, yes. Yeah. Obviously, as you were saying, you have to learn it. You have to back it up. It's not enough to show up, although that helps if you show up on time. In the old days, that was everything. Now, apparently not so much. But so you show up on time. But then at some point, you're going to be tested. You're going to want to know if you know how to do it. If you know how to do it, everyone's going to be like, whoa, you know, we want that guy. Like you said, that becomes a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from all the safety concerns and compliance and all the different things, you know, I just I think it's too easy, you know, and I hate to say the younger folks today, it's not it's not got anything to do with age, it's attitude. Right. But um, I I think it's too easy to say, no, no, that's not my like everyone wants to stay in their lane. uh, It seems not everyone, but there's a lot of people that really want to No, no, that's not my job. That's that department or that's that department or you know, different union or whatever it is. Right. Whereas, yeah, that's always been my MO is just, you know, you need help. Let me figure it out. You know, I'll come and help you. So I've been, I've been very fortunate. I, I worked with 
you know, as, as a management person, I work with a lot of younger people who are excellent, who were men, mentees of mine that I yeah. helped train. And the, the one difference I noticed, it's a lot easier to get work than it was in those days. In those days, you literally had to beat the, you know, the, the path to find anything. Yeah. Now there's, there's, you know, so much work out there and if you're halfway interested in it, you're going to find someone who's willing to hire you. Yeah. And then of course the other side of it is they all want a lot of money. Now I don't blame them, but it's like when they, when I think of what I was working for back then, you know, and it was, even though obviously money was different then, yeah. it still wasn't a lot of money back then. You know, yeah. they, people acted like they were doing you a favor to let you work in the business. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, that's very different. Like, you know, right now, it's a really bizarre world on how much money people want today. Oh yeah. And in some cases they're worth it, you know, certainly in some cases they're worth that money, but in other cases, those people, you know, a year from now, or I don't know what's going to happen with the economy, but at some point those people might not get the call because people have a long memory in this business, you know? And, uh, you know, weren't you that guy who tripled your rate? you know, on that and, next show to me and yeah, yeah. Okay. Held my feet to the fire. Yeah. <laughs> you screwed me on that job because you got 50 bucks a day more from the other guy or whatever. Now, I mean, I've, I've heard so many different uh, stories, both on this podcast and just friends of mine and stuff. And, you know, I guess if the artists are making more money and the lighting vendor and the video vendor and the sound vendor are making more money, then absolutely the people should be making more money too. But my concern is always who's paying for this. And, you know, today it's the person buying the ticket is paying for most yeah. of it. Right. I, I don't think that's going to last forever. Like, I just don't think we can fill stadiums and arenas and buildings like we are today for, a, you know, in the long term. I just don't see it. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Well. Yeah. That's the reason I that's the reason I went into corporate because of course I know who's paying that. I don't feel bad, you know. I had one time uh, I was working staffing and, and someone's oh, you know, ask you guys to to uh, you know take a cut and pay for this jo job so we can land this job. And they wanted me to like cut everyone by five dollars an hour. And it was the the client was like Amex or something like yeah. that. Like, I am not going to ask my That's people to, to give yeah. up money for Amex. Well, because you know? somebody no. screwed up and needs to cover their ass with a budget cut somewhere else, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's terrible. So in the notes that you sent me prior, you sent a really interesting uh, comparison where you were comparing uh, older audio technology that, you know, I, I, and I, by the way, I agree with this, you know, both lighting technology and video technology move a heck of a lot faster in most cases than audio, you know, audio, uh, I can think of two or three major shifts in audio, you know, obviously going from stacked speaker arrays to line arrays, uh, from analog controls and consoles and everything else to digital. But, um, Beyond that, like a speaker is a speaker, a microphone is a microphone. They don't change that much. But you used a specific uh, uh, story or, or uh, you know, just anecdote or whatever you want to call it around a microphone. A, share that with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, researching, I was doing a presentation at the School of Audio Engineering, and I was trying to tell the people there, you know, what 
AV was all about. And so while researching that, I found out that the uh, SM57 and the SM58 are greatest microphones in the world. Yeah. Not necessarily the fanciest, not necessarily the best, but definitely the greatest. They, they've done the most shows. They work the hardest. They're practically indestructible. Yeah. That the roots of those microphones were from like 1937. And then they were, you know, upgraded to the Unit 93, which was in the 50s, I believe, if I remember correctly. And yeah. that since then, they haven't changed at all. Yeah. And, and the comparison was to that and video technology. Would you like me to continue that story? Because that is. A oh, good no, story. absolutely. It's an oh, amazing yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. So when I was getting involved with uh, video at Staten Techniques, we had a job for IBM, and this is 19, January 1988. And we needed to project a single image from a projector up to a screen. And, you know, we think everyone thinks like, well, that's everyone does that, you know, like <laughs> in those days you didn't um, computer graphics were just like bright colors and they were very basic. They were the same rate as straight video. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons was uh, Ram. There wasn't a lot of Ram. So you couldn't really store images and stuff like that. And, and, you know, in, uh, in your video Ram, they didn't even really use video Ram. Was, yeah. but you couldn't store an image in the Ram to put it up on the screen. So, right. They had just developed this technology, and it was the IBM PS2 Model 25, which had an internal monitor like the uh, old Macs, you know. Yeah. And so in order to get the image out of it, it didn't have any video display. And you couldn't plug anything into it. You had to take the ribbon cable out from inside the, inside the, the computer and put another ribbon cable in that also had a breakout cable that went to a computer interface. And the computer interface was called a COVID. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, ironically, yes. And so you, you go to the COVID, and then that would output RGB and sync, and then you would go to a projector. And the only projector that they had available that could do that was a 600-lumen uh, three-gun CRT projector. Now, obviously, 600 lumens is very dim. Yeah. Most commercial desktop you know, projectors nowadays are at least three or 4,000 lumens. Right, yeah. And uh, the CRT projector had three different colors that had to be aligned in a grid to, to make the image. It took hours to just even get yeah. the image on the screen. I remember I used to have one under a coffee table in my house. Like it was a coffee table with a built-in RGB projector underneath it that aimed at a screen on the wall. And the picture was crap and it wasn't very bright. And I couldn't <laughs> no, wait to get rid of right. it. No, it wasn't bright. Literally in those days, they had to turn off the lights. Yeah, just to show any kind of image. Yeah. So we we ended up uh, projecting this at an IBM meeting, and at the time, a color image coming out of a computer was unheard of. So huh. even the executives at IBM had never seen it. Jeez. This was all, you know, uh, laboratory stuff they were just developing. So the guy who's the presenter is at this meeting of IBM executives in Atlanta, January 1988, and he points to the little monitor on, on the actual computer, and he says, and a color image of a photo can appear on this screen. And he points to the little screen, and the image pops up of a woman wearing a hat. Yeah, You may have even seen this picture. It's, yeah. it's a famous still image, digital still image. And the entire audience goes like, oh. <gasps> Like that, and he goes, and that image there can appear on this screen here. And he points to the projection screen, and the image pops up on the screen. 
And the audience stands up instantaneously and starts a standing ovation. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, my God. You know, they had never seen anything like that before. So fast forward 15 years. So now we're talking, this is uh, 2002, December. So almost exactly 15 years. And um, James Cameron's Expedition Bismarck was being shown at the National Museum of Natural History for the Discovery Channel. Okay. And we showed a segment of it in 3D HD, which means full moving images, you know, not only that, but 3D. So there's two different projectors. One is doing the horizontal um, and the other one's doing the vertical and you wear polarized glasses so you can see it. And those projectors were 12,000 lumens each. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Nowadays, oh, 12,000. But, you know, in those days, that was incredible. Yeah. And uh, so we showed that the 3D clip of the James Cameron's um, movie up on the screen. Again, standing ovation. The crowd saw it and rose to their feet, cheering and and applauding. Ends up because they had never seen anything like that. Yeah. So as, as the show ends, I'm wrapping up cables over by my station, breaking down everything. And uh, someone standing there wants to talk to me. So I just give them like one of these, you know, hold on for a minute. And then I finish rolling ca- the, the cable up and I look up and it's James Cameron. Whoa. And he says to me, he goes, it looked good. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and that was the extent of our conversation. But the, the point all you being, needed. <laughs> oh, I know. The point being between showing that single image in 88 and doing 3D HD in, in 2002 was 15 years to pull. And the, so the industry had not only taken off, but it had exploded, you know, yeah. and now the, the incremental increases in, in resolution, you know, and now they're can you actually do 8k. Well, and all yeah, this you other fast stuff. forward to today. And I mean, it's unbelievable, like between the media server, the power of these media servers that people are oh, using yeah. the projection, all being, you know, laser projection. And I mean, it's yeah. Im- image mapping and all image that mapping. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. They, some of that mapping stuff just blows me away. Like some of the, the outdoor uh, mapping jobs that are going oh, yeah. just blow me away you know uh, like i watch videos I, I go down these uh rabbit holes of videos of mapping projects outside especially in oh, europe yeah, like, they get really big into that stuff on yeah, like on a of, castle or something like that a yeah. castle or an yeah, old exactly. building in paris or something they yeah. love that stuff and it, it just looks so cool but yeah i mean the video technology continues to just move at a crazy clip so. Yeah, I went. I was out at Infocom, and in, I think it was 2019, and I went and saw 8K projection, an 8K uh, LED monitor, yeah. and an 8K LED wall, you know, of uh, LED panels. Yeah, and and I came back to corporate AV where I was working, and I, I had a training session, and I was doing a thing with 4K video. And I said, well, I explained to them. I saw, I saw the 8K projection. I saw this 8K you know, monitor. I saw 8K LED wall. I said, now, you don't have to worry about 8K right at this moment. That's something in the future. So, but what it does tell you is you have to worry about 4K. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we're seeing now. You know, I have people sometimes hand me a feed from a camera. Oh, can you put this up on the screen? And I can't. 
because the projector's HD only and they're giving me a camera that's outputting eight, uh, 4K, 4K yeah. or UHD, you know, 3840 by 2160. And I can't put it up on the screen. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I can't, you know, yeah. and it's something that you have to be aware of and it's important. Now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, as a user, you know, just like a consumer individual, um, video has been one of the most frustrating things that I've ever had to deal with in that, you know, between, you know, the different formats and everything else. But like in my last house that I had, I put a Crestron system in. This was in 2005. All right. Yeah. In 2005, Crestron was still state of the art, right? And I don't know, maybe it is again today, but it certainly wasn't in between time. But, um, you know, I put a Crestron system in, cost me a fortune. By the time they finally finished the job, like eight months later or whatever, because <clears throat> it was a new home, it was a new construction, um, it was already basically obsolete. Like half the stuff I had, there was a model 2X.4 and I had the 2X.2, you know, or whatever, right? And, uh, and plus, like there was new technology coming online as far as sources and those sources were already not compatible with my Crestron system. And I was like, what the heck? And then, you know, just that you had to call people every time something you know, you wanted to add a component yeah. to it. You had to call a programmer and get them out to, it drove me nuts. And, you know, now I have Sonos and, you know, it, like cable companies and stuff have figured out how to stream things on multiple TVs and pause it, it in one room. It and, travels across your house exactly. wirelessly. You, you know? don't need any of that stuff anymore. Forget Crestron. And I'm sorry if they're, uh, you know, friends of yours. Listen, they're listening. But, uh, yeah, who cares? They pissed well, me off. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I found out with like the installs. This is something that's really come important to me recently. And in all these locations I go to where either you're, you're going to try to upgrade their facilities or they they want you to use their existing facility. Yeah. You know, is that there's what I call institutional amnesia and the people who were there when the, inst the equipment was installed are no longer there. Yeah. And, and the, people who maintain this facility or wherever you are have not done due diligence to get the information to keep the information so that they know how all this gear works right. or the yeah. new person is trained on this gear so that when you come in, they know what they're doing. So a lot of times, a lot of this gear is not usable anymore Yeah, because nobody knows how to use it, okay. you know, and they're asking you to like, you know, even like, Oh, can you just, you know, project, you know, on the screen and, and bring in your own projector and stuff. Cause they can't even figure out how to turn on their own projectors that are in their yeah, building. You know? Yeah. And a lot of times they are obsolete too, but you know, the, uh, nobody knows anymore how to do it. And that's yeah. really a shame. And it, it does go back to the whole thing about, you know, valuing people too, because, you know, it's, oh, no one's indispensable. Well, yeah. apparently you might be wrong because you yeah. just cost your company a million dollars, you well, know, by getting also, rid of this. Company. Yeah. No, I think it's also the pace at which things continue to move. You know, it's like manufacturers keep growing every year over year, over year, over year. You know, they don't want to talk about an installation that happened seven years ago. They want to sell you a new projector. Absolutely. Know? And so I'm not blaming them. I mean, that's just, that's how the world works. That's commerce. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is challenging. And it's funny because that exact story you just said happened with me with that house. So after I sold the house, they had already closed on the house. The buyer of the house calls me and says, hey, um, this Crestron stuff that's in the house. And I'm like, nope. 
And he goes, excuse me? And I said, I have no interest in trying to figure it out, trying to talk you through it. You know, I'm not going to be able to help you with that. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to find a contractor. You know, if it were me, I'd replace it all. I didn't charge you for it when you bought the house. So it was a toss in. Get rid of it all, you know, and, and just go to something much simpler. So yeah, we had that recently with the install, the little sound controller that ran the, the different rooms. You have the wall controls and stuff like that. It had shorted out, and uh, we were trying to find a, a, a repl- first. We sent it out someplace said they could repair it, yeah. and they, they, you know, and they said they looked at it. And the, the manufacturer got out of business. They'd sold their part of the, the business to somebody else. Yeah. No one was looking to support this product, you know. So we found someone said they could repair it after like months. They said, "Oh yeah, we're not going to be able to repair that." Yeah, and we finally found a used one and installed it, and it worked, you know, and everyone was happy, but. I can't say how long that's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And it's, uh, you know, again, I was, I was part of the lighting business on the manufacturer side from 1991 until about 2002, I guess. And, um, that during that time, that was sort of the heyday of automated lighting going from just Verilite to being, you know, Verilite plus Martin and High End and all of these other companies. And um, stuff moved very, very quickly, you know, and it was like, you know, you'd sell somebody a light and actually the technology didn't move as fast as it is today in some cases, because with LEDs now, you know, they're constantly finding ways to make brighter chips or better this or better color rendering or whatever it is, or they add a lime chip in to make, you know, new colors or whatever. Or ultraviolet is a big one. Yeah, ultraviolet is another one. And so it just seems like what used to be like a lifespan or a, a good rental span on a fixture of like seven, eight, nine years now has become like five years, you know, and it's only hot for two years where it used to be hot for four or five years, you know? So like, you know, companies up by you, I remember Bash bought like IntelliBeams really, really early. They bought like hundreds of IntelliBeams and they rented them for probably 10, 12 years. I'm sure PRG bought them when they bought Bash, you know? Um, so I was you know. working at, I was working at uh, corporate AV and we were sending out, going, sending a driver out to pick up some rentals at Altman and, just absentmindedly, I told the guy, Oh, yeah, I just have to go over to Bash. <laughs> and he's like, What's Bash? I'm like, <laughs> no, no, Al- Altman. Yeah. And apparently, Altman's no longer renting here in, in the New York area either. So, you know, well, they moved to uh, like Denver or something. Yeah. You know, every- well, that's the sales, I believe. But yeah, everything changes. Yeah. You know, things keep continue. You know, I was talking about same techniques. Now, Randy Will passed away. Speaking, you wanted to mention uh, somebody's name, and uh, he had been one of the guiding lights of staging for many years. Right, and uh, he ended up closing the New York office. Now, you know, Seattle's still out there, and they're still doing jobs for Microsoft and such like that in Seattle. And and I'm sure they're probably doing very well. You know, yeah. but uh, that was a major transition too. You know, yeah. like a lot of these companies that I grew up working for don't exist anymore. You yeah. Know? You never worked at World Stage at all, did you? Speaking of, I did. I worked there for eight. Well, it was Sharp at the time, but I worked there for eight days. Oh, wow! <laughs> and they said it wouldn't last. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy that worked at at, um, at Corporate AV 
that only lasted a week. And so that's, he's the gold standard there. Ah, Rudy, that's funny. You know, like, Oh, uh, hopefully you'll make it longer than Rudy, you know, but yeah, I was, I was there working part-time, you know, freelance. And they had told me, well, if you get it, you know, a, a full-time offer, let us know, you know, and I was like, all right, you know, I walked in eight days later. It's like, I got a full-time offer. You know? Like, all right, see ya. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, fine. Bye-bye. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I was talking to somebody about World Stage yesterday, and, uh, you know, it's a terrible story. I I mean, so many of those stories are terrible. It's, you know, it's one of my pet peeves about our industry being so propped up by private equity right now and and debt, you know, debt being a big one. But, you know, like you were just talking about video, like video is a tough one because you buy a, a video projector, you know, five years later, you sell it for, call it $20,000, but the new one to replace it is 120000 And then you repeat that same process over and over again. And you hope you're making enough money on the rentals to make that worthwhile. But, you know, as far as an asset, just a buy and sell asset, it doesn't look real good on the books because the value has dropped so heavily by the time you sell it. Well, that's why a lot of the people I know work, rely on companies like Rentex and Nationwide yeah. for LED walls or video yeah. projectors, because you know they're always going to have the top-notch, latest, greatest. And if you try to pursue that and you try to you know, keep, keep up with that, you're going to you're going to go into debt, as you yeah, said. It's a painful and, process. And as we learned from you know, the pandemic, yeah. anybody who was left hanging out with debt at, in 2020. Yeah. Well, they got screwed. Them. They got screwed, of yeah. course, because they, they weren't, there was no money coming in for at least a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're hoping, Oh, I have this new great led wall. That's going to make me a fortune, you know, and everybody's going to, cause it's the brand new chip, you know, and it's 0.7 pitch, you know, dot pitch, dot pitch and everything. And it's like, no, yeah. you, know? <laughs> you just bought the most expensive boat anchor in the world because by the time, it came back out from the other end. There was something new out. Too, yeah. You know? Well, I, I I won't mention any names, but I I spoke with one company in particular that took delivery uh, on a huge amount of stuff. It was you know five six million dollars for a small privately funded company to take debt on to buy six million dollars worth of gear. Uh, was really difficult, but you know he did it because it made sense for their future, and 2020 right. was projected to be a record year for them. And um, so he took on this this really difficult debt, got the product. So by the beginning or middle of 21, a new model came out of that product, and so now not only were his road cases never opened or used, you know, because the product was yeah. still brand new, but now there was a newer version. So oh, yeah. what he bought, call it $10,000 was now worth $5,000. He hadn't even started paying for it yet. You know, I mean, it was just like such a terrible story, you know, just a sad, sad story. So yeah, I mean, that's why there's so much private equity in our industry now is because if you want to compete with companies like Nationwide or like Four Wall or like, you know, the, the behemoth companies, uh, Solotech, PRG, if you want to compete with those companies, you know, the biggest difference between you and them isn't necessarily the quality of your people or your ability to do the job. It's the gear, you know, and, and they have, in some cases, they have access to endless supplies of capital. 
to buy gear and you don't. And so you either have to go out and cross rent it, which makes it more difficult for you to be competitive or, uh, you know, or you gotta, you know, put your house in Hawk, you know, and, and go buy the gear on some kind of credit or whatever. But it's a challenging, challenging business when you're competing against heavily funded private equity, uh, backed companies. But, but to get back to the SM57 and the SM58, that is the key. Buy the stuff that will stay the same. Buy drape. Yeah. Drape is going to stay the same, you know. Buy screens. Now, yes, they went from 4.3 to 16.9. But other than that, they haven't really changed that much. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was a big change. Yeah. But uh, buy things that won't change and rent the rest because yeah. otherwise you're going to have last year's model anyhow. I had that you know, exact as a small- same conversation also yesterday. So somebody's setting up a company and they're setting it up not based on buying a whole bunch of hardware on the expensive side. They're buying the infrastructure. They're buying cabling. They're buying, you know, all yeah. of the in- infrastructure stuff. Like you said, screens get, and get trucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> trucks. Yeah. And hire drivers, you know, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then, Text, everyone's using freelancers for the most part nowadays, you know, but that has been uh, pivots back and forth. And everyone says, oh, well, you know, I can pay this guy this much and I can charge this much a day for him. It's worth having him on step until until the pandemic hits, you know. And then the other one is like, well, I only hire people when I need them. So, you know, I can pay them whatever they want as long as I can bill more to the client than what I'm paying them. Yeah, but it's 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 very alluring, though, when when you're looking at one job, like let's say you own a a small video shop and somebody wants to rent an LED screen and, um, you know, you're looking at the numbers and you're going, okay, wait, this job is an eight week rental. That's going to pay for 50% or 40% of the cost of the screen. So yes, I have to come up with a million dollars to buy this screen, but it's going to be 40% paid for, you know, hmm, I need to do this. Instead of just taking your profit and running on one where you're cross-renting it and you're going to make 20, 30% on top of the cross-rental or whatever. And so what happens is then that job cancels in two weeks or something, you know, and now the math doesn't work quite the same as it did or, you know, something else happens. Inevitably things happen, right? So, yeah, it's it's a difficult choice. Well, that used to be even more prevalent because you knew that, you know, five or 10 days and this thing is going to be paid for it. You can't charge that kind of money anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. very true. <laughs> like, uh, 10 days, if I get this, you know, if I get 10 day rental on this, it's paid for it. And nowadays that's not the story. Yeah, know? yeah, no, it's very, very true. It's, it's It used to be a big, that used to be a big motivator that people would like, okay, I can make most of my money back on this first, rental you know and yeah it's kind of like you do people say do you have this stuff you say yes and you yeah. don't really have it but you're already getting a quote for it and you're ready to you know buy it if they confirm yeah so they're they want you to tell tell them that you have it and you tell them to have it and you want to buy it but you can't buy it till they confirm and it gets me like a catch 22 yeah. well. or they show up in your shop like two hours later and go okay show it to me oh no no it's out on a job it's out on the show it. of course yeah. oh which show i'll go over and see it Oh, no, no, it's out of state. Oh, okay. it's, it's, uh, <laughs> and now uh, your lie just keeps problem. getting worse. Well, uh, it, yeah. it never helps to lie unless yeah. you have to, in which case, just don't blink, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like poker, right? Well, so, the one I, I had one with the 
something simple. It was like a lens or something. I was working in a video rental company and uh, the uh, ended up somebody needed the two of the same lenses for like a month. And these people had one for one day. Yeah. And I had to call them up and say, Hey, it never came back. You know, like we're still waiting for them to return it. And yeah. I was lying, but to tell them, you know, that, yeah, we really value this other rental more than your rental is, is worse. I think, yeah. you know, that, then you're like kind of insulting them, you know? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So over the years you, you moved from literally the stage where you were a performer to sort of the show production uh, side of things to the shop where I think you still are today. Um, like along the way, do you miss the past? Like when you, when you go from the stage to the production side of it, you know, go from the front of the stage to behind the stage, you know, do you miss being on the stage when you go from the production side to going into the shop? Do you miss going out on productions? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think I've, I've done almost every position in the industry. I've been a salesperson. Yeah. I've been a on-site technician. Yeah. I've been in the warehouse. I've been, you know, operations. I've run yeah. organizations like that. I've never really been a driver. I had my own HD company for a while, but it wasn't highly successful. So yeah. I don't know how, you know, I, I guess I was an owner. So that counts sort of. Yeah. But I, I find that what really makes me, feel best is if I can work a balance between working in the office and going out on shows once in a while. Yeah. Going on a show all the time, you would get beat up. You know, it's, it's a rough life and yeah. it's, just, it's not a life for a geezer like us. Yeah, it's you know? a young person's <laughs> life. <laughs> well, it is. Cause you're doing all kinds of weird hours, you know, and this one's a morning show. So you're getting at 6 AM and it does a lunch and you're, you're already breaking down by two in the afternoon, yeah. but this one goes in at one and then even start till seven. It's not over till 11 and you're probably not going to get home till like four or five in the morning, you right. know? So that becomes rough. Now, if you're doing it once in a while, it's great. Yeah. And if you work in the office all the time, same thing, it's mundane and it's, it's, you know, drudgery and it starts to wear down on you every day, go in and out and in and out, you know? Right. And so either one is too much at some point. So doing both of them is really the best of both. Worlds, right. Yeah. You know? and I, I still, we have uh, the guys at, at Corporate AV, we have a band and we actually go out and play music in, in public sometimes. Oh, that's cool. So, what kind of music? Yeah, it's, um, Americana, you know, rock. And the, the, the younger guys, it's cool because it's a multi-generational, the young, younger guys do a lot of 90s and 2000 type music, you know. Um, so what do you indie, play? Indie pop. I, I grew up listening to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> no, but what do you play? What instrument? I play blues harmonica. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and and some vocals and uh, yeah, I've done that since I was teenager. So huh. I'm actually pretty good at it. Yeah, cool. That's fun. Interesting. So, um, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. I I I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting to know you and hear about your past and stuff. So I got this thing that I like to do at the end of every every one of my podcasts. Sort of on a you know, I'm from the gear space, so uh, kind of what's your go to gear? And so three pieces of gear that you've got to take or you've got to put on every show that goes out the door. Well, that's very interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to deviate a little bit, but I'm a projection guy. Yep. So, you know, I, I'm okay with flat screens and I'm okay with LED walls. 
I love to work with the projector. I, I do that. I do some theater stuff for, for shows in, in the city. And I, I love to do anything with the projector on it. You know, yeah. so if you I could, I would take a projector. Pro- I would, yeah. Uh, well, it depends. You know, obviously, if you're doing a big show, you want the biggest and brightest, you know, that you can possibly get in the warehouse or rent or whatever. Yeah. And you, you want to blow blow a hole through the screen. But yeah. these the little projectors are fun for like the theater stuff and some of this other stuff because you could carry them in your hand. You could slap them down anywhere. You could throw them up on the screen. So we're on a wall. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so I do like that as well. I like the the, the little toy projectors. So like, yeah. They have a one at a corporate TV called the Ike 4700, which is 4700 lumen, which is almost 5,000. So it's pretty bright. Yeah. A lot brighter than the 600 yeah. lumens yeah, that no we kidding. used back when. You it's know? incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, uh, so, look at look at flat screens. You just mentioned flat screens, but it blows my mind every time I go to Costco. You know, because again, I'm an old guy. I remember the first plasma I bought. It was a 42 inch Panasonic, and I think a I million paid pounds. about. Uh, well, it was for my house, right? And I think I paid about seventy five hundred bucks for it. Oh yeah, and I know they were more than that at one point, but seventy five hundred bucks for a friggin' like seventy pound Panasonic that wasn't that great looking to begin with. And, um, and now you go into Costco and you can get like a freaking 85 inch, you know, led that looks kick ass and it's HD 4k and it's like less than a thousand bucks or whatever, you know? Yeah. I bought, I bought a 42 recently for, for my living room and I paid $181. I know it's incredible, (laughs) isn't it? And it looks way better than the one that I had. I'm sure of it, you know? And it's probably yeah. got built-in Netflix or something, you know. I had nothing built in, so. All right. So getting back to yeah. what I would bring on a show. So um, nowadays, one of the keys, I, I, if if it's if at all possible, I'd like to be a, a projector show. Yeah. Then one of the, one of the other things nowadays, you have to have converters. You have to be able to convert from HDSDI to HDMI, and you have to be able to convert from HDMI. Give me brands and models and stuff if you can. Oh well, the decimator is a very popular unit. The the uh, Asha makes a high five and a ha five, and those are also available in 4K and 3G and everything. But um, you gotta have those. Yeah. You can't go anywhere without some kind. Uh, Theatrics makes a nice one, and yeah. there's a one way only. The the and so is the Asha, but the decimators are good because they're two-way. Okay. You can go from HDMI to HDSDI. You can go from HDSDI to HDMI. And they even make one that has a built-in scaler. So you nice. can you know, adjust your, your levels and frame rates and stuff like that. Yeah. So that is critical nowadays. You, and, you know, and also DAs, of course, uh, you know, the extra on 3G DA is a very nice distribution amplifier. Yeah. Because you're going to go to multiple screens nowadays. Everybody's got to have it here and there and over there and over here and over there. Yeah. So the flow, uh, signal flow becomes really the key. You yeah. know, it's getting out of whatever unit you have, a switcher or a laptop, and then getting into the distribution amplifier and then getting it to all the different screens, whether they're HDSDI inputs or HDMI inputs. Most of the flat screens are HDMI. You know? yeah. A lot of the projectors are HDSDI. And it's a matter of mastering that signal flow. And so you have to have lots of toys. Yeah. In in your yeah. world, do you use any media servers or is that more for rock and roll it's, shows? It's funny you should mention it. I am actually a media server guy from way back. When okay. I was talking about the, doing the 3D HD for James Cameron in 2002, those were Qubit servers. And they literally 
had to sync together to play because you could play both sides, you know, that have to match up frame for frame. And so that was, Cubit uh, was one that they were using for digital cinema at the time. So I learned how to do that. I actually did a version of, back then of uh, Quadrophenia with a Vela server with a quad decoder, which outputted to four screens wow. at the time. So, and then nowadays everything's done on Playback Pro for video playback, which is sort of like a server. It's, you know, Mac and it has the software in it and you load all the clips. Everything's done with clips. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not using video decks, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so everything's a clip at, at one point or another nowadays. But that's something, like I said, I've been doing for over 20 years. I wrote articles for TV Technology Magazine about servers and stuff like that. So, wow, yeah, I don't even think about it anymore. I, I did the uh, Grass Valley Turbo. I was using that like 10, 15 years ago. Huh. Yeah, so I've been ser- using servers for over 20 years. Yeah, you've been and, doing and, like, this a while. Yeah. You're a geezer. That's why I'm a geezer. You are exactly. a geezer. I am. We have now verified that I am a geezer. You are so. a verified geezer. Qualified to be on your show. Yeah. Well, I, I very much appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. And I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you. And uh, uh, I had a great time. This yeah, is fabulous. Yeah. And, you know. Cool. I mean, reach out if I can ever help you with anything, obviously. And uh, appreciate that. Uh, and yeah, it's been fun. I'll I'll, obviously I'll, point, the, I'll point people your way too if something comes up. I so. appreciate it. And I will, uh, I'll send you a link to the, uh, the finished product to the podcast. It'll go up later today. And then uh, also we'll tag you on socials and stuff. So, oh, of course. And I will, I will share with all of my adoring Perfect. as well. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jim. You have a, an amazing rest of your week, and uh, I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. Sweet, sweet thing.